Hey everybody, welcome to this week's very orange Q&A. If you haven't heard what's going on, there's fires in Canada that are spreading. The smoke and stuff is spreading across the US, so my neighborhood has been orange for days. It's weird. And this is right after I had one of the worst pollen seasons I've ever seen, where you could go outside during the day and if the light was at the right angle, you could actually just see clouds of pollen in the air. So yeah, hopefully we don't all die of lung cancer up in this area. But anyway, uh, so yeah, if you see weird skin tone changes, it's probably the camera compensating for all of the weird orange, at least for people watching on video. People listening audio only are like, stop talking and get to the Q&As, which is exactly what I'll do right now. First up, over on Patreon, Double H said a few weeks ago they asked about NES controller lag, and I answered and asked that they keep me updated. Well, here's the update. The controller is working, but not yet cosmetically as perfect as they'd like it. The reason they made the controller is they wanted to try to make an NES controller with Cherry MX switches. This controller does use those for the buttons, and they also changed out the cable for a USB cable. However, there are not USB chips. They're just using the USB connector, but making their own wiring standard for it. It shouldn't have any lag as it's the same 4021 circuit as the original, and the controller is also the exact same shape and button placement is the original. There's nothing from an original controller in this, but every part is customizable and interchangeable. All of those things are awesome. Every word you typed in that is exactly what I wanted to hear. And I do like the design, and that's kind of one of those things where you could mess with it going forward. If you finish that design and a couple of handfuls of people want one, beautiful, hand make them, and there you go. You have a fun project that other people enjoy. But if you get a ton of requests for them, then you could do things like, oh, do you make an, <coughs> an overmold? Do you use previously built shells? And there's a ton of options out there. So I'll leave a link to the video for anybody interested, but keep going with this because I think it's very cool. And worst case scenario, you'll make a very awesome controller for yourself and a couple of your friends, but I have a feeling more people would be interested in that as well. Next up, Tim the Gamer 23 wants to know, what are some of my favorite games to play while I'm sick? Hope I feel better. Well, thanks, Tim. I'm probably going to have a cough for the next couple of weeks because that's just always how it is with me. If you go back through all the roundups, every couple of years, I'll get sick like this, and then the cough will linger for like a month. But uh, <coughs> speaking of which, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, I do feel much better. Thank you. But I don't actually play games when I'm sick. I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I'm either working or resting up. So when I'm sick, like I was a couple of weeks ago, I'm on the couch watching TV, just spacing out. I don't even want to watch a really good movie or a really good TV show in case I fall asleep or I'm too tired to pay attention. I watch, mostly just watch like stuff that's good, but not awesome. You don't have to pay full attention to it. And then I kind of rest up. And then whenever I get some energy, I go just work as hard as I can until I basically pass out again. And so, you know, usually it's a couple hours worth of work and then go lay back down on the couch and just try to keep the bare minimum stuff done. So, yeah, no, it's a lame ass answer, but it's the honest truth. I just um, when I'm sick, I don't really want to do anything. I just get done what I feel like I have to get done, which is probably still more than I should. But, you know, it is what it is. Next up, Steve Wells says, thanks for keeping it real, and in the unlikely case you're ever in New Zealand, I'll buy you a beer. I would freaking love to visit New Zealand. I've always wanted to go there in Australia, and it's one of those annoying things because I have so many friends in Australia, and a really good friend of mine is from Canberra, so it's one of those things where I probably should have already gone. I just never made it happen, so hopefully I will try to figure that out in the next couple of years, but I would love to do a, a tour of Australia and New Zealand and then, you know, just fly home and go back and just do it again. You know, I would love to just go back to traveling. I had a job 
that I mean, I basically grew up never going anywhere. I went to Florida once on a plane and then I drove to Massachusetts once and then that was it. That was the only places I ever went until my late 20, mid 20s when I got this job. And two weeks later, they were like, all right, get a passport. And then I traveled all around the planet and I loved it so much. And I wish I could do that again. I just, you know time and budget, I guess. Right. But yeah, I would absolutely love to go to New Zealand. So I will, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'd obviously let everybody know if I ever do anything like that. Cause I want to get all the suggestions of cool places to hang out, bars to go to stuff to eat and drink. But yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Steve. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd rather have people mad at me for, for being honest than, than try to put on a persona that people get mad at. Not everybody's going to like me and that's totally fine, but I'd rather have people not like me for me if that makes sense. So I'm going to try to keep it as positive as possible, but always tell the truth, whether whether it's positive or not. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Renaissance 2K wants to know what's a safe, easy way to combine two audio signals over stereo RCA without a dramatic dip in audio quality or volume. So this is the scenario that you want to start with Y cables. Now, Steve from HD Retrovision and I proved out a couple years ago, and I'll leave a link in the description, how this is absolutely not something that could kill your equipment. Now, yes, of course, anytime you're using anything analog with some cables in it, you could introduce noise, signal interference, you could drop the volume. If you're using unshielded Y cables, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, but nothing that's going to kill your equipment. And the price of Y cables is like, dollars. I'll leave the links to the last ones that I bought just in case you want to try those, you know, and they seemed to perform fine. Although I don't think, I, I can't remember if I ran those through MD Fourier testing, but we're talking about a couple of dollars here. So start with a Y cable and split it that way and see what happens. Is the drop in audio too much? Is there a hum that's not there when it's plugged in directly? If so, you got two crappy cables that you're going to leave in your toolbox in case you ever need to run an experiment. That would definitely be how you're going to want to start with it just because of cost and convenience. And then if there's no other, if that doesn't work or if there's, you know, something that is causing an issue, then you could do a powered audio amplifier where it's, you know, it's probably something like a digital audio input and then it uh, amplifies it and then you can have multiple outputs. But I honestly don't think you would need that I really think you should just try with a basic Y cable. And just once again, I know I'm so annoying when I say this, never ever use Y cables or Y signals on video at all, period. Yes, there's a few fringe use cases, but unless you're an expert that knows what you're doing, you're just going to end up killing some equipment. But it's always safe on audio. Might not be the best quality. You have to find out for yourself. But this includes taking one audio source and splitting it to two sets of speakers or two inputs on your cross point. And it also includes things like combining left and right audio into mono. Both of those are completely safe from a voltage safety point of view. And then you just got to kind of test the performance yourself.
Eli wanted to chime in on the discussion from last week about what I would recommend as a device to emulate from the oldest video game consoles all the way up to GameCube and Dreamcast. And Eli would be supportive of a device that outputs 240p for direct CRT connection, and hence not an Xbox series or an NVIDIA Shield. So I'm pretty pretty sure, 99% sure, last week's question was in the context of HDMI devices. However, if they had mentioned CRT, then that would be a completely different answer. You're definitely right. And your suggestion is spot on, but it's not so easy to just say, oh, I recommend this. And that's one of the many reasons why I've been running RetroRGB.com for over 10 years and still haven't quite gotten everything right. It's because the questions are, what do you already own? What are you looking to accomplish? What CRT will you be using in 240p? Is it a consumer CRT with only RF or composite? Is it a PC VGA monitor? You know, what are we working with? An HD CRT? So it's impossible to answer any of these questions like, what would you suggest for emulation without so much more information? And I'd love to be able to to do some kind of chart or something on retro RGB to help people walk through those steps, but there's never an easy answer without context. It's always got to be, here's my equipment. Here's what I already own. Here's what I'm definitely buying. Uh, Or if the answer is I have no idea where to start, then that's a whole other conversation altogether. So yeah, it does get pretty complicated, but you're definitely right, Eli. If there was a question that said, hey, I have a consumer CRT, it's just got composite inputs, I already have a Wii, how could I start emulating this stuff? Soft mod it, load up some emulators, start from there. If you love it, there's a million other options. If that's all you needed for your fix, then cool, you didn't spend any money, you just spent a little bit of time. Next up, Mr. Morrow has a PC that they're only using to play games, particularly arcade and 2D games. They know FGCOS, Fighting Game Community Optimized System Package, is coming, but they already reinstalled Windows. Do I have a guide for basically turning everything off that they don't need so that they could squeeze every last bit of performance from their PC and get the lowest latency possible? They'll be running emulators and a lot of games on Steam. Would also love to know if I had a preferred front end as well. So there's a couple of answers to this. First, FGCOS is really taking ideas that have been floating around the community for a while and stringing them all together in a way that is just kind of like an easy one install type of package that people could use. You don't have to reinstall Windows, but it certainly helps or having a secondary boot drive. And while there's certainly other stuff out there that's great, I really think that's going to be a game changer. And it's open source and all that other stuff. There's no paywall or any of that. There's some weird rumors going around that there's a paywall for it. There, there's never, never been. It's so weird. But anyway, um, so you could kind of Google around and search for some of those existing optimizing packages that take your Windows install and strip it down. And those will be a really good idea. Those will definitely work. I have nothing bad to say about any of those. Uh, It's just that FGCOS is kind of like doing what I do in that taking information from absolutely everywhere, retesting it all, and then seeing how to smash it all together to make everything even better than just one, you know, one perspective on things. 
I hope I'm explaining that right, but it's all a positive thing and it's all open source and there's no thievery. This is all, all just good things, but it's kind of, it's not open for public beta yet. Now, if you are an IT person with deep windows knowledge, let me know, DM me and I could get you in touch with the team and maybe you could help uh, test and even implement stuff. But if your IT knowledge is intermediate to beginner or, or non-existent, then I would just kind of wait and just Google around and find some existing things. I do want to mention that I'm specifically sticking with Windows because you mentioned Steam. I know a lot of games don't run right on Linux. Otherwise, I would say try a Linux distro, try Groovy, uh, Groovy Arcade or something. But if you're doing a mix of emulators and modern, that might not work for you. You might still want to try it, though, because you could run that off of a USB stick completely separate from whatever hard drives you have in your PC. And in fact, if you're even nervous about messing something up, open up your PC, uh, unplug your hard drives and then just boot off the USB stick. And there's absolutely nothing that could possibly happen, you know, unless you get struck by lightning while redoing your PC or something. But um so that's that's something you might want to try, uh, especially just for fun to see if it fits your setup, to see if Linux is going to work for you. But I, I think the eventual release of FGCOS, the optimized system package, not operating system. I always just want to drive that point home. I think that's going to kind of be what everybody runs. But how extreme you install it, you might want to do exactly what you did, Mr. Morrow, and either redo your drive or clone it to another drive, reinstall on that one, and then just have a dual boot situation going. Now, the one question you did ask is if I had, <coughs> excuse me, still getting rid of this thing, uh, a preferred front end. And I, I have this very strong opinion that you should spend your time playing games, not messing with front ends. And the reason I have that opinion is because 10 years ago when I built my Mortal Kombat uh, emulation machine, so a real Mortal Kombat arcade with a PC in there running it, I definitely spent far more time creating the uh, the the full front end for it than I did actually using it. So I want to put that out there just to just to kind of remind us that if you are the type of nerd that likes tinkering more than playing, then go for it. But if not, then if you're running Windows in full resolution, 1080p, 720p, you could just consider loading up icons on your desktop. Uh, and if you're using Steam, I'm assuming you're going to have a keyboard and mouse connected too. So you could just launch that way. If you're using 240p or, or lower, I guess, even 480p, a front end would be really, really helpful because you physically can't fit a bunch of icons on the screen. I think you could fit two if you're running in 240p or something like that. So that's certainly something to consider. I'm assuming you're running in higher resolution because you didn't mention CRTs or anything like that. But, uh, you know, a lot of the front ends really get on my nerves. A lot of them force you to use the front end rather than just load up the original emulation. And it's just, it's kind of, I don't know. I, I just have had very bad experiences with, with most of them. Even ones like Hyperspin, that looks so amazing. But you know, the last time I tried to use it many, many years ago, I, I just, it was the farthest thing from intuitive. It made no sense. I have been digging um, Recall Box, though, which should be able to run on everything, Windows, Linux, Raspberry Pi, whatever. And that is, you know, emulation station based. And it is kind of a front end like the rest where it just launches other cores, if you will. But they've been doing a good job. And the team behind it genuinely, genuinely cares and takes feedback. And they're trying their best to make it work without having to, you know, rewrite all of the code for all of the emulation underneath. So... That's probably one that I would suggest giving a try if you wanted to do a front end. Uh, but, you know, there's still a lot 
there's still a lot going on involved in that. So if your emulators that you use can all be launched individually, unless you're looking for an arcade look and feel, you might want to just point and click and load up each one individually until you've kind of decided what the final form of this PC is going to be. Tony Escobar has an update to the Flickering Mr. Saga. They tried taking just the DE10 and plugging it into their 1080p TV, and it still flickered a little bit. So then they started thinking, what about the power supply? And I feel really dumb for not thinking about this. Thank you, Tony. This is why I wanted you to keep us updated on this. Now I will never forget to mention this again. But some DE10s came with a 5-volt 0.5-amp PSU, which isn't going to cut it. Some came with a 5-volt 1.5-amp, which probably is going to be okay in some cases. However, I've definitely had problems with that PSU. And in fact, I had a powered or a a self-powered hard drive. So powered by the USB port, just a laptop, uh, two and a quarter inch, 5,200 RPM hard drive that kept crashing when powered from the mister. And then as soon as I swapped out my power supply for a triad, everything went absolutely perfect and I've never had problems since. So Tony's going to replace the power supply next and then kind of go piece by piece after that. Uh, They also swapped the micro SD cards and it uh, it follows the hardware and not the software, which is what I thought, but I just figured that was such an easy thing to test. Glad you did that. So I, I think that you're on the right track now. Get a good power supply for it. I'll leave a link to the triad that I use just for anybody interested. Um, So use it and then do the same thing as before. Try just the DE10, then add in, (coughs) excuse me, then add in the RAM stick and try a different core, then add the USB hub, then, or if you have to add the USB hub first, that's fine, but you get the point. Just try it piece by piece. But that's, that could very well explain a whole lot. So now I'm really, really interested to see how this, uh, how this persists, but Yeah, I feel really dumb. I apologize, Tony. I should have thought of power supply right after the HDMI cable. So thank you for keeping us updated on this. Brent Optional recently purchased one of those Games Care component video switches, the ones that use two 3.5 millimeter jacks that break out audio and YPBPR component video. And they had some issues with it. When they first started using it, they lined it up to the same color plugs that I had shown in my review. And their PS2 gave them a dark image on some occasions and a green tinted image with no other colors on another. And their Wii gave them full video and audio for about three seconds before the RetroTank got a no signal error. So then they swapped the cables and everything started working. So I have a guess as to what happened. Now, without seeing pictures of your unit, without, (laughs) that's not a dirty, but without seeing pictures of your Switch uh, and without being there to test it myself, here is my guess as to what happened. My guess is that Games Care, if this happened exactly as described and I'm not misunderstanding what you wrote, my guess is that Games Care probably went to order the exact same 3.5 millimeter jacks, but there was a part shortage related issue. So rather than have two jacks of the same color, uh, which would kind of make it a little bit trickier to figure out which is which, they probably just reversed them, or maybe they accidentally ordered it by accident. And that's why you were saying, oh, I'm going to plug video into green and audio into black. However, it is, I'm looking at the picture right now from my review, and it is definitely uh, green is YPBPR. And the reason I'm so confident in that is because green has three leads plus ground and black has two leads plus ground. So my guess is that when you plugged it into the one with only two leads, 
you were able to get Y and PB and that gave some image, but not the complete component video image, which is why the retro tank dropped signal, why there were color and brightness and tint issues and stuff like that. And then when you swapped them, then it was, uh, you got all of the channels through. Very interesting that it worked when swapped that way. I'm sure some of the chips and filtering weren't really supposed to go through the reverse inputs. Uh, so, you know, luckily everything's still working on your end, but what I would absolutely do is look, take a very close look at those jacks, which is easy because it's a plexi top and count the little notches on there. So I'm looking at the picture for my review. Now the green 3.5 millimeter input, if you're looking on the top has three metal pads that are exposed, which match up with the three pads that are surface mount soldered to the motherboard. And on the right side is one single ground that's all the way up at the top. And on the audio jack, it's not as noticeable, but you can see the two leads kind of really close to where the input is. And then the sides of that would be ground. So it actually looks like there would be four inputs on the audio, but what you're actually seeing is two ground, two signal channels, and you're just seeing that exposed in multiple places. So double check that. If that's the case, then that's the answer. But uh, that was an interesting one because... you definitely had me scratching my head when you first mentioned that, but I my guess is that's that's what that was. But please let me know because I'm kind of interested to see what happened with it. Oliver Claire is looking to take the audio output from a GSCART switch and from an Extron crosspoint and route that through a digital to analog converter with XLR inputs. So this should be totally doable because you're not talking about changing the signal, you're just talking about changing the connector at the end of that signal. And then, of course, the ADC does the signal conversion. So what you could probably do is either get a whole bunch of different converter cables, or you could make your own or half make your own, which is probably what I would end up doing. So the solution that I think would be easiest is to find yourself some XLR to quarter inch cables, If they have XLR to RCA, cool, but the quarter inch cables, you should be able to unscrew the ends and then kind of snip that off. And now you have the exposed end. So you probably have a good quality molded XLR end to it. And on the other side, you could then wire that directly into Phoenix connectors for the Extron crosspoint, which would be pretty easy. And then on the SCART side of things, I would take one of your SCART outputs maybe something that you're sending just video out of and grab audio there. So get one of those SCART to BNC cables. You send the BNC side to your RGB monitor or something, and those will break the audio out into two RCA connectors. And you could then just get XLR to RCA, or you could do the same thing that I just said, but cut the quarter inch off and add RCA connectors to those. And that should be it. That should be just about anything that you would need in order to do that. Um, And if you're not using the other input of the G-SCART, you could just get yourself a basic SCART dongle that breaks out audio to uh, right and left channels. But I I would probably get more of a breakout cable just so you could always have access to that second output should you ever need it. Um, So to answer those questions, I think I got the the converter part right. And that would work with both, you know, uh, both of those switches. And then You also asked uh, if I had any alternative analog to digital audio conversion devices that I've used. And digital to analog devices, I think, are very subjective 
And it's so easy to go down a rabbit hole of, you know, oh, don't buy that $200 one. This $1,500 one's the only one to get. And really, it's just whatever sounds better to your ears. However, analog to digital is a little bit easier for a whole bunch of reasons that uh, it would really... I would really want to do a podcast discussing it, to be honest, but it's definitely a little easier. So I've used cheaper solutions that seemed to do a perfectly good job. I'll leave a link to the one that I've recently used that seemed fine. If you want one of the higher end ones, then you're going to have to go down the same rabbit hole of what features do you need? How many devices are you connecting it? And it's my opinion that you don't need a higher end one with balanced XLR connections if you're coming out of these devices because you're not the the origin signal isn't a balanced xlr signal it's just left or right standard audio and all you need is some good shielded cables so if i'm missing something on this one please somebody let me know because i i would hate to give the wrong advice uh, but the only thing i'm the only thing i'm hesitating on is the the adc that i'm talking about are there much better ones for not much more i don't not much more money i don't know that for a fact but I know that this one doesn't suck, at least. So, uh, And lastly, can I recommend any SPDIF RCA cables? Uh, anything that is fully shielded. and Because basically all you, you want to make sure... It's just like, even though it's digital audio, there's still potential for interference. So all I would just end up doing is get a really good shielded RCA cable. Um, I've heard of people using things like RG6 coax cable... For subwoofers, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody using it for for digital audio, but just remember it's the same theory as you're sending a digital signal down one pin with grounding and shielding around it. So you should just be able to get any good shielded RCA cable. Uh, if <clears throat> And same with like RCA to XLR for if you do end up using an ADC that has XLR inputs, just get a good shielded version of those cables. And as always, if anybody has any other suggestions, please let me know, but I'm pretty sure I'm on the right track for this one. A couple of questions from Elmer M. First, which Sega Game Gear consoleizer solution do I recommend getting? Um, that's a tricky one because it all really depends on your needs. I know there's been talks of an HDMI version. I know there's the McWill kit that you could install as well as Tim's, uh, same person who did the NES RGB. So I think you should really decide what your output and what your target display is going to be first. If it's CRTs, TIMS can do composite, S-video, and RGB in the original resolution. So you're playing on a CRT with a black border around it. So that would definitely be what you would probably want to use. McWills could also line double to 480p. So if you're using a PC VGA monitor, that's going to be the one that you would definitely want to use. If you're using a scaler, I don't know. I, I think I would kind of decide which fits your needs the best. Maybe Tim's because you could also just use a 3.5 millimeter jack, a three position jack, like the ones we were just talking about with the switch. So you could get, uh, you could try to get red, green, and blue out of that. Plus maybe add a different line for sync. Like you could do it in a way, I guess I'm trying to say you could do it in a way where you don't have to cut big holes in your game gear unless you, unless that's what you want. There are some pretty good uh, aftermarket shells for it. So if your case is in great condition, buy one of those aftermarkets and swish cheese it up. Just cut a bunch of holes in it. That's fine. Or if yours is all beat up anyway, I guess that's cool. But I just trying to throw out different options and different perspectives, even if they completely don't apply to you. And I haven't really heard what the latest status on that HDMI version was. Uh, I don't think it's released. I think it's in beta 
but um, or a private beta, the, the creator's still making it. But that's something that's pretty interesting. And, you know, of course, you, there's always the Mr. FPGA solution. You could always get an analog, <coughs> excuse me, analog product and their cartridge adapters and stuff like that. So just always putting out alternatives. But for me personally, I would probably use Tim's if I were going to a CRT just because I would have the choice of all of the outputs. Um, also, next question. They're shopping around for AVRs. Would I happen to know which ones work best with RetroTink products? Well, um, I think you should back up for a moment and start out with which ones don't add any latency. So there are ones like my NAD amp, which I still love. And I don't think there's an affiliate link. If there is, you better believe I'm going to put one in here. But I honestly don't think there is one. So I'm saying this out of 100% nothing but experience. Uh, The only thing that's annoying is you you probably should be using an HDMI splitter on the outside unless, uh, unless your display is really close. But I love the way it sounds with analog audio. It has an analog bypass mode that just sounds so wonderful with vinyl, cassette, original consoles. Uh, I mean, it's just, I really, really like the sound. It's, you know, expensive. It's expensive for normal people. When you talk to audiophiles, this is, they'll probably scoff at it. Like, oh, it's only $1,200, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a stand to put my AVR on for less than 3000. So, you know, in real people talk, it's going to be expensive, but I, I really love it. It does Dolby Atmos and the HDMI ports are basically pass through. So there is no processing done. There's no amplifier chip, which means there is zero chance of latency being added. But it also means if you have a six foot cable going from your device to that, and then a 10 foot cable going to your display, you're going to need another powered device between that, or you're going to get the weird issues that I had. Um, Other than that one, which I, I really have been liking, there are obviously other good AVRs out there. I just wanted to talk about the one I have a lot of experience with. From that point on, any AVR that does not process the image in any way that would allow for whatever other features you would like is a win. Most AVRs that do not advertise upscaling on their ports or any kind of changing of the video signal will just essentially have an HDMI switch built in and will be exactly what you need. Maybe it'll be a pass-through like this where if you have long cables you might still need a splitter or something but that's fine. Uh, I think the most important thing is just that don't get an AVR that will say something like, you know, scales all of your media to 4K 60 or 4K 24. That's when you're going to add a ton of latency. And just like with flat panels, any AVR that has analog inputs do not use for gaming. They add a ton of lag because they were really only designed for consoles. Also, a little side note, if you ever see people reviewing AVRs and they think it's a good idea to plug your consoles into those, don't trust anything they say at all because they obviously have no clue what they're talking about. I've run into a few of those and it drove me nuts. Like, how do you have so many subscribers and give so much advice to people that's probably all wrong? But (laughs) my little rant aside, it's not so much about the AVR. It's only about the HDMI processing. And if it's a built-in switch, it should work with everything retro. Now, just to back up one more time, the RetroTINK 5X in triple buffer mode is 
compatible with everything. It's only in the lowest latency mode or if you're using the open source scan converter or some other stuff where you might run into issues. But generally speaking, if it's not processing the image, it's only switching between them, you should be totally fine. And the only lag added would be microseconds. So zero, you know, could could theoretically still use light guns if they were processed through HDMI with, you know, just... It's a stupid analogy, but also kind of something good to visualize. But I'll leave a link to the AVR that I use. And uh, if that one's good for you, cool. And if not, just anyone that doesn't process the image and you should be fine. A couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, is there an ideal console for the 240p test suite? Yes, whichever console you're using. All wise-ass comments aside, that was actually one of the first questions I asked Artemio in our very first interview together. And when it comes down to it, you have a couple of different choices. For color calibration, they're all going to do a pretty good job, so you could pick whichever. But when it comes to geometry, you have two choices. You could do something like calibrate it to 320 by 240 and then just deal with the differences or tweak the differences between other consoles and games. Or you could pick your favorite console, which is generally what I end up doing. So I'll do it with the Super Nintendo. So I'll try to get the geometry using the monoscope pattern and everything as good as possible, which it's never going to be perfect. You already know that, Jason, but just anybody listening, it's basically how much time you want to spend and how close you can get it, but it's never going to be perfect. And then I just kind of go from there. Because remember, consumer CRTs never were even close to perfect. So if you calibrate it for SNES and it looks perfect to your eyes and you load up a Genesis game and there's a little bit more overscan or something, you could just embrace that that's how CRTs were, or you could deal with horizontal size and position and vertical height and position. And even if you are the type of person that is terrified of messing with CRT settings, you don't want to do anything, you don't want to mess anything up, those are settings that are generally safe. Don't zoom too much because you could hurt some CRTs with that. Uh, but generally, if you have easy access to those controls, so most consumer CRTs, no, but most PVMs and stuff, yes, then you could just tweak per game if you would like even and just get the height and width however you prefer it but generally I would just kind of either go for 320 by 240 or your favorite console and just kind of leave it and accept that's the way it's going to be anybody if anybody has any thoughts on that please let me know but I'm pretty sure that still kind of stays true second they're considering getting and building a mister but they don't recall how it scales the output is it upscaling or rendering in higher resolutions so it's really only scaling. There's a few scenarios in which some, <coughs> excuse me, some cool things are being done. But generally speaking, if you were to render it in a higher resolution, like you would with a software emulator, you would essentially be doing a virtual version of putting an upgraded uh, graphics chip or PPU in there, which is a tremendous amount of work. And at that point, you might as well just use software emulation. So while a bunch of cores have some very cool tricks. There is some line doubling in there, and there's a few things that you could do to make it seem like it's being rendered at a higher resolution. You're really only doing things that can be done with any scaler. And in fact, I think that's a good thing. And I also, one of the many reasons why I love the direct video output is that as more scalers start to get released that can go to higher resolutions than the Mister, you could just set it to direct video and you could let your modern scaler do all of the new tricks and blending and stuff to different resolutions. Uh, so it's really, 
it, I think it's a good thing that it works the way it does. While I do absolutely love seeing some of those HD rendering of older consoles, that's going to be something that we stay with software emulation, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Lastly, do I have any experience with something called CRT Emu Driver? Yeah, I uh, I interviewed the creator. I'll leave a link to that. Um, Calamity was a, such a great talk. It was fun. It was like it was like truly meeting a celebrity for me. I was really really uh, excited to do that one. So I think it would be much better for me to just pass you on to that interview and let the person who created it explain it in their own words. But I enjoyed that one, and uh, as always, these are available everywhere. So I'll leave a link to the main page in the video, but. If you just want to listen audio only, fire up any podcast app at all and just search for Retro RGB Calamity and that'll pop up. Well, that's it for this week. If you have any questions at all, please just ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. Today, all the questions were on Patreon, but anywhere that you support, you can just put your question there and just make sure it's the newest post, whatever is the newest Q&A on there. Because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an older post. Plus, as you saw here today, I really like just scrolling through and responding as if we were hanging out somewhere, having a conversation all laid back. But anyway, as always, thank you to everybody who watches and participates in these things. And especially thank you to people who support because it is you who is keeping all of this stuff going. So thanks again. And I'll see you next week.